Thank you, Josh, for reading John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, the prologue. And uh, I just kind of closed my eyes as he was reading, but if you want to open your Bibles now to John chapter 1, that'll be our main text uh, for this morning. And we're going to do the sermon a little different. You'll see how we're going to do this. We're going to kind of take a break, a song break in the middle of the sermon uh, here in just a minute. So just stick with me, follow along in the text. We're really going to look at one verse, and then we're going to sing a few more songs. Uh, earlier this year, Jessica and I watched this TV show where they had people that were willingly volunteers to go and become inmates in a local county jail. Uh, they were in there, the idea was to be in there as an inmate for about 60 days. And the purpose was to gather information, gather intel for the county on how they can improve their jail and also figure out how illegal substances were making their way in there. So how many of you would be willing to volunteer to go and become an inmate? Probably not many. I think most people like, I didn't give you a chance to raise your hand because I don't know if I want to know that, but I think most people would prefer their freedom and would not do this. This show was able to find eight or nine volunteers that said they would be willing to go. So they did it the right way. They arrested them. And they booked him into jail just like they would anybody else, and they became an inmate. However, they weren't all alone. So as they were filming this TV show, there were cameras everywhere, and all of the inmates knew some kind of show was being filmed, but they didn't know why. They didn't know that there were volunteer inmates who weren't really inmates in there among them. But for those volunteer inmates... They weren't alone because they had those cameras and they were given a distress signal. And they were told, if at any time you feel like your life is in danger, or you just can't take it anymore, they said, rub your hands together like this and just say, it's getting cold in here. It's getting cold in here. We'll see you on camera, and then within a few minutes a guard will come and pull you out, we'll take you in somewhere privately, and then you can decide whether or not you want to quit the program. So they start this program, and as we're watching the show, every single one of those volunteers was interviewed before they entered the jail, and they said, they're going to make it the full 60 days. Two months, no problem. I can do this. Everybody was really confident. And then you see volunteer after volunteer within just a day or two, some of them. It's getting cold in here. And they pulled themselves out. They quit. One person quit on day one. Now, to do something like this, there's a risk involved. But there's also that safety net knowing you can get out at any moment. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, which is kind of the climax of John's prologue, he says, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Or I like, Josh, your translation you're reading, took up residence, right? The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, lived among us, took up residence. Or in the message it says, He moved into the neighborhood. We have seen His glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm not saying that the incarnation, God becoming a human being, is the same thing as voluntarily going to jail. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but I did think of that show as I was preparing this lesson, especially verse 14 of John chapter 1. And what really came to mind was, when God came to this world, when the Logos, when the Word became flesh... He was all the way in, starting how we always start, as a baby. And it's not like he had that chance to give the distress signal. I don't see, I don't picture 
God making a deal with Jesus or with himself saying, if at any point during this human being experience, if you're overwhelmed, if you feel like your life is in danger, just give the distress signal and I'll pull you out. That's not how he did it. When he came to earth, when he joined humanity, he was all the way in, came into the world like we all do as a baby. Jessica and I are teaching the Bridge 56 class, the 5th and 6th graders right now, this quarter on Sunday mornings. And last Sunday morning, I asked the class, how many of you remember being a baby? And the purpose of the question was, nobody does, but a few of them raised their hands and said they did. And I said, no, you don't. Nobody remembers being a baby because we're just babies. When you're a baby, you're completely helpless. You're completely dependent on some adult to take care of you. When God becomes a human being, He comes into the world the same way that we all do. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, but He starts as a baby and He's completely reliant on Mary and Joseph to keep Him alive, to feed Him, to take care of Him, to escape to Egypt to protect His life, to teach Him how to walk and teach Him how to talk. And if you think about the Word... The Logos becoming flesh and subjecting himself to the same type of humanity that we all do. I mean, that, if you just pause on that for a moment, that's an amazing story to think about. Last week we started John's prologue, what Josh just read for us. Matt read some of those verses during the communion thoughts. The prologue is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Last Sunday we looked at the first nine verses. This is where we come to discover this Greek word, logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was God. And then He is the light of life. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. You see, John starts his Gospel in a different way than Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke tell us the story of the birth of Jesus, each from a different perspective, but John doesn't start that way. John doesn't tell us that an angel appeared to Mary and Mary was a virgin and she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit and Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. If this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. John doesn't tell us about that. John doesn't tell us about an angel appearing to Joseph who was engaged to be married to Mary but then was going to divorce her quietly because she's pregnant and he doesn't know how that happened. And then an angel comes to Joseph and says, don't divorce her. This child is going to be your child as well and you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save the whole world from their sins. John doesn't tell us about going to Bethlehem and the birth of Christ, the Christ child coming into the world. John doesn't tell us about the shepherds in the field and the angels coming to these shepherds and appearing to them and the shepherds visiting Jesus and Joseph and Mary. John doesn't tell us about the Magi who came from the east to find the one who had been born king of the Jews. John doesn't tell us about Herod wanting to kill this child. John doesn't tell us about Mary and Joseph taking Jesus into the temple in Jerusalem to offer the poor man's sacrifice and Simeon and Anna being in the temple. John doesn't tell us any of that. We know that from Matthew and from Luke. What John tells us in one sentence, in one line, his version of the Christmas story, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. He already knew that Matthew and Luke were out there. He knew those birth stories were circulating. And he said, here's how I'll present it to you. The Word became flesh 
and lived among us. Matt mentioned this word incarnation, which is the embodiment of a deity or God becoming a human being. God becoming flesh, the one who created everything becomes a part of the creation. As Matthew tells us from what Clark read earlier today, they'll call him Emmanuel. As he's quoting Scripture, Matthew is, from Matthew 1, 23. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Literally, in the Word, in Jesus, it is God with us. God took on flesh and bone. He became fully human. Now, there was a teaching going around early in the first century that the gods, little g-gods, would want nothing to do with human flesh, because human beings are nasty. We, we get sick. Our bodies decay. We're subject to death. Why would a God want anything to do with the flesh? John wrote his Gospel way later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And by the end of the first century, when John is writing his Gospel, Gnosticism was a popular teaching. The Gnostics were teaching that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. This is a few generations after Christ. They were teaching that He only appeared to be human, but He wasn't actually human. So if He walked down the Sea of Galilee, He doesn't leave footprints in the sand because He's not really human. So John, in a way, is writing to combat that. And he's saying, no, the Creator, the One who was with God and who is God, the Word, the Logos, who all things are created through Him, He took on flesh and He became a human being. It's mysterious. It may be hard to understand, but He's fully God and fully human. John wants us to know he is fully human, but he's also fully God. He articulates that multiple times throughout the Gospel of John. The example I'll use is John chapter 14. When Philip and the other apostles come to Jesus, they say, show us the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've heard one preacher say before, if God took a selfie, it would be Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Fully God and fully human. And we're told in verse 14, that word, the Logos, became flesh and lived among us, took up residence among us, or dwelled among us. John's prologue relies heavily on two books of the Old Testament, Genesis and Exodus. Now I mentioned last week that in the beginning, that's how John starts his Gospel. What does that remind you of? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God created. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then Jesus is the light of life that shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. In Genesis chapter 1, God created, and He says, let there be light. So you see that John is using kind of a parallel to the story of Genesis, but he also uses Exodus. A story that's so crucial to the identity of the Jewish people, God bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, establishing them as His people. And by the time you get to Exodus chapter 40, God dwells among, His presence is among His people in the tabernacle. And literally, the word that's used in Greek in John chapter 1 verse 14 is tabernacle or set up camp. So if we were reading this literally, the Word, the Logos, became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is God's presence among human beings. And in my opinion, I mean, that is part of the beginning of God's plan of salvation, what God did. 
his links to go to save us. And it is an amazing story. And we're going to take just a minute to just sing, use our voices to continue to praise God and thank Him for this. And then I'll come back up and finish this part of the lesson. I'm going to invite Quentin Woods back up here. So in February of 2020, I read this news report about a demolition company based out of Irving, Texas. They were contracted, hired to do a demolition job over a house in the, a neighborhood in Dallas. So they show up one day, they follow the directions, they went to the neighborhood, they showed up to where they thought the house was, this was it. The house was not marked, it didn't have an address on it, but they assumed that this was the house that they were supposed to tear down because there was no electricity and no gas. So that's what they did. They did what they came to do and they demolished the house. Only to find out later that day that they demolished the wrong home. True story. Uh, the person who owned the home, the former owner was his friend. She was dying of cancer, and before she died, she requested that he take that house and keep it in her family. So he bought the house and was going to pass it along through her family line. It was in the middle of renovations. The electricity was turned off, the gas was turned off, but there was a contractor's ladder and tools. Nobody was inside the house. But his work was in there laid out. They were in the middle of these renovations and this demolition company shows up and just tears it all down. Now that's irreversible. The owner of the company in an interview uh, obviously felt horrible and he said, this is the worst mistake we could have made and we'll make it right. Now I don't know how he made it right, but tearing down the wrong house, that's a pretty big deal. Can you imagine doing that, owning that company? Could you imagine God becoming a human being and then rejecting it or not even recognizing it? That's what John tells us in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It says, He was in the world, and the world came into being through Him, meaning He is the Creator, yet the world did not know Him. He came to what was His own, and His own people did not accept Him. Some Commentators that I've read from, some authors, some preachers, have all pointed out these are two of the saddest verses in the Gospel of John. The Creator joins the creation to save the creation, and most people didn't seem to recognize Him, or they at least just flat out rejected Him. Now we see that played out at His birth. I've already mentioned Matthew and Luke. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, there's this little line in there that we've made a big, doubt, big deal out of where he says there was no room for them in the end. There's a lot of different theories about what that possibly means. I preached on that a few years ago. But if you were to just narrow it down, there's no room for him in the end. When God cho chooses to join humanity, the world does not make room for him. Or if you looked at Matthew chapter 2, King Herod, who is king of the Jews, finds out that another supposed king has been born, this baby in Bethlehem. Herod is so threatened by this that he sends his soldiers to go to Bethlehem and kill all the boys under the age of two. He's trying to kill Jesus from the time he's born. He's rejected at birth, but then beyond that, in his ministry, in his life, some people came to Him. Some people accepted Jesus and followed Him, but many people rejected Him. And a lot of those were the religious leaders of the time. Which goes to show us that God can be seen in Jesus and still misunderstood. 
He was misunderstood. He was rejected. He was not accepted by his own people. And if we wanted to look within ourselves, we might ask ourselves the same question. How often do we fail to recognize God among us? They failed to recognize Jesus, and and we may look at that and say, well, how could they miss him? But how often do we miss him still today? He said, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done it for me. Do we recognize Jesus and others? Do we recognize where God is working, how God is working, how God's Spirit is among us? Or do we often just completely miss it? Well, not everybody missed it because in verses 12 and 13 he says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. This is about family right here. In verse 13, uh, in the Greek, there's three knots. It could be read like this, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. As if to say, we get to become God's children if we receive Jesus, if we believe in Him, but it's not of our own will, it's not something that we orchestrated, it's something that God has done for us. So even becoming a child of God is a gift that He gives us. As Jesus will tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again, or you must be born from above. Through Jesus Christ, not only do we receive this salvation, but he says you get to become a part of a new family. It's not tied by blood or relation or where you're born or what race you're born of. He says, no, you get to become a child of God if you believe in him and receive him and you're born again. And this invitation is not just for people who think like us and look like us. That invitation is for the whole world. And that's a mission that we've been given to go and invite people into God's family. In verse 14 through 17, back to where we started, I'll read verse 14 again. It says, And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Pay attention to that word grace. John testified, John the Baptist testified to Him, cried out this Was he of whom he said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. He is the pre-existent Logos. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that word grace is used four times in these verses. In the Gospel of John as a whole, the word grace is used four times. All four of them are right here. Now, John uses words like love and other expressions of God's grace, but all of the uses of the word grace are right here. And grace and truth, that's an interesting combination, isn't it? Like they seem like they're on opposite ends, grace and truth. But it could be that he's saying, you know, Jesus is truth. He's God in the flesh. His words are truth. And even in order to receive him, his truth, it still requires grace. Anybody remember when Monty Cox was with us a little less than two months ago on our mission Sunday? Y'all remember that? Okay, I mean, it's a great lesson. If you miss it, you can go back and listen to it. Uh, Monty's had a heavy influence on my life. I've loved listening to his teachings, and I've heard him teach on the Gospel of John, and something that was kind of like unveiling to me about the Gospel of John 
As he said from the prologue, when Jesus comes full of grace and truth, you see this theme of grace and truth played out throughout the whole Gospel of John. If you go through John and you look at all of Jesus' interactions with Nicodemus, with the Samaritan woman, with a guy that's been an invalid for 38 years and he heals him at the pool, with the woman caught in adultery, with the blind man that he heals in John 9, and so on and so forth, Jesus comes and he just like lavishes out, pours out grace on everybody that he's interacting with, healing people, restoring people back to life. But he still teaches them truth. Like the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. He's, Nobody's here left to condemn you, neither do I condemn you, but go leave your life of sin. So Jesus comes full of grace and truth, and you see that in all of His interactions. Every Saturday night, I'll go over the sermon that I'm preaching, and I'll try to bathe it in prayer. There, I mean, I am just completely reliant on God for this sermon, this moment, what we're doing here. And inevitably, it's not planned, but a part of my prayer routine as I'm praying over the sermon, as I pray this prayer that I could preach in grace and truth, that God will give me the confidence and the boldness through His Holy Spirit to teach His truth and not hold back, but at the same time, preach with grace because I know that I also am a sinner. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came to give us grace upon grace. There's the lead singer of YouTube, Bono. Uh, some of you may know him. I don't know if younger people would know who this is, but a, a long time ago, 18 years ago, he was interviewed. And in the interview, they asked him, What are your religious beliefs? What's your spirituality? And he gave an interesting answer. He said, In my opinion, it comes down to two words karma and grace. The karma is getting what you deserve. It's what goes around, comes around. And he said, but grace, the way Christians believe, and he, I was identifying as a Christian, the biblical concept of grace is a gift that you receive that you don't deserve. And he said, I'm thankful that in the end, I'm not going to be judged by karma, getting what you deserve. He said, because I have failed. Time and time again, I failed. I failed to love God. I failed to love my neighbor. And he said, but in the end, I believe I'll be judged by grace. And you could substitute Jesus' name for grace. And he said, I believe. And he gives this gospel statement that Jesus came into this world, lived as a human being, died on a cross, and took my sins with him on the cross, was buried and resurrected. And he said, I believe in the end, that's how I will be judged through grace. Well, that's what John is telling us, that Jesus came full of grace and truth, and it's not like, oh, just some soft message, do what you want to do, and God's going to save you by His grace anyways. No, it's a message where there's kind of a paradox in there where he's saying you're saved by grace, it's a gift that you receive, Jesus comes full of grace, but He also wants you to live into His truth and live out His truth. So you have that combination of grace and truth. And then he ends his prologue in verse 18. And he says, no one has ever seen God. It is the only Son, Himself God. He, John really wants us to know, Jesus is God in the flesh. Himself God, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. The purpose, or one of the purposes, if you want to just kind of give it an, an overall umbrella, 
of Jesus coming, of the Logos coming into the world, becoming a part of the creation, was to make the Father known. We have a heavenly Father who loves us that much that He became one of us, and John says, because He wants to make the Father known to you. In 1969, when we landed on the moon, if you're thinking that's not a good-looking picture, it's because it's not. It was taken in 1969 of a live broadcast from the moon. I don't know how that's even possible, but there's a good enough picture for you. We land on the moon. President Nixon said, this is the greatest day since creation. He's caught up in the moment. He's really excited. And Billy Graham, the great evangelist, corrected President Nixon, and he said, actually... You're forgetting about Christmas and Easter. And on all accounts of human history, Billy Graham is right. Landing on the moon isn't the greatest day since creation. The thing that changed the world forever is what we're talking about this morning and what we talk about on Easter and what we celebrate throughout the whole year. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And then going all the way to being rejected by humanity, being killed by His own creation on a cross, buried in a tomb, and resurrected. And He said, I'm coming back again. So what we're celebrating today, what we're talking about today, is we live in the in-between times. We live in between the first coming and the second coming. We live in between the birth that took place in Bethlehem, God working through Mary and Joseph and everybody else that He worked through through the Word becoming flesh, this amazing story, and the links that God went through to show us that He loves us. In between that, and after the resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven, but He promised His disciples that He will come again. So we live in between the first advent and the second advent But as we leave here today, as we fellowship with one another, as we go celebrate with our families, we can live with a grateful heart for what God has done for us, but we can also live with anticipation that He will come again. So if you need to have a conversation with an elder, if you want to be born again and become a child of God and a part of this family, Here for the next few minutes, we're going to give you a chance to respond to an invitation. You can talk with me. I'll be up front, and then I'll be in the back here in just a minute. One of the elders will be up front with me, and they'll be around the room. So if you need to come up front before the whole church, if you need to talk to an elder privately, you are certainly welcome to do that. For all of us, though, I want to invite you to stand and let's continue.